A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheimt waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kauten Schabes hat es getan. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, it is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian Welcome and everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored by the May family of Edgware, London, in honor of the bar mitzvah of their oldest child, Yitzchak Yeshaya. So we have the yard site today of Mordechai Shlomo Friedman of Bayan, the last Bayan Rebbe from the previous generation, who passed away in 1971. So this is his 50th yard site, if I, my math uh, serves me correctly. And it's we I bring groups to on the very prominent of, on part of the visit on the Harazesim tours, because it's a very central location with a great view, and he was an amazing uh, person and a whole life story. But on this episode, in honor, in honor of his yard site, I'm not going to exclusively talk about him, although I will do so. Talk plenty about him as well, but I want to uh, give a little bit of an overview of the Bayan Hasidic dynasty through the generations, through the ages, and uh, he he uh, plays, a, of course, a prominent role in that story. When I bring uh, groups to Vienna, and we go to the, the Jewish cemetery there, so one of the people we go to is the first Bayan Rebbe, Rabbi Mordechai Shlomo's father, Rabbi Yitzchak Friedman of Bayan, and... Um, and he's called, he's referred to as the Pachar Yitzchaks. I remember bringing a group of yeshiva guys, and I told them we're going to the Pachar Yitzchaks uh, grave in the Vienna Jewish Cemetery. So some yeshiva kid uh, says, oh, Rav Hutner, what's Rav Hutner buried in Vienna? So we have to get the record straight. The Pachar Yitzchak of Bayan was way before Rav Hutner, and he had that title way before also. So I'm going to give a little bit of a, you know, a background of, of where this all came from. I have actually a personal connection to Bayan, one of the only uh, uh, Hasidic dynasties that I have a, a somewhat of a connection to. I, my cousins, the Brims, Reb Chaim Brim, of blessed memory, and other members of the family were prominent and are prominent, Bayan uh, Hasidim, in, uh, um, in all different, uh, different ways. Um, they actually came from Tzans, believe it or not. The the original big opponents of the Rizhin Sadiger dynasty, and they converted from Tzans to uh, to Bayan. We'll get to that also. Um, 
It's also one of the only, the Bayana Rebbe today is one of the only current Rebbe's that I've had the privilege of meeting on several occasions. So the, the, I have a little bias here. So if I'm too positive, you'll, um, you'll, you'll have to, you'll have to blame me for that. Either way, um, there's some great sources on it. The Bayana Rebbe's father, uh, Professor Breyer, has a great book on Rizhin, which includes a lot on Bayan and uh, Professor Heilman's uh, book, uh, uh, Who Will Lead Us, has a whole chapter on Bayan. There's many more from here and there collected from different places. There's plenty out there on uh, Bayan. There's internal publications also. They put out something today for the 50th Yard site. It's a very unique dynasty in many ways. And one of the things I want to do in this episode is point out some of the, the anomalies, some of the uniquenesses of this that makes it uh, quite uh, standing on its own in the history of the Hasidic movement. So the background is, of course, the Rizhin Sadiger dynasty, right? Rabbi Yisrael of Rizhin, the Heiliger Rizhiner, is the founder of the dynasty, Rabbi Yisrael Friedman. And when he passes away in 1850, he's already living in Sadiger. He had escaped Russia in a daring escape in 1842 and crossed the border into the Austro-Hungarian Empire and settles down in Sadiger and rebuilds his regal court, of course, Rizhin Sadiger, is the proponents of the regal way in the Hasidic movement. Very opulent, and um, even in some ways in its outward external manifestation, ostentatious. But of course, it was not. It was was not ostentatious for the for for to be to be that in a superficial way. Of course, it was a very very important component of the Avaida in the Hasidus, which is for another time. We're not going to get into that whole story now. Um, and his son, his oldest son, Avram Yaakov of Sadiger, his oldest surviving son, um, um, uh, his, oldest, his oldest son passed away shortly after his passing. But the next the next son, Avram Yaakov Friedman of Sadiger, becomes the Sadiger Rebbe, and it becomes a huge and influential with impact everywhere in Galicia and back in Russia. And one of the uh, largest and most important uh, uh, dynasties at the time and a very regal, very Im- important Hasidus. They also run from Rabbi Yisrael of Rizhin, this is important for the story as well, the Koilel Volin. The Volin, Volin was the district of, of, of Russia which, which they had escaped from, but it was still called the Koilel Volin, um, which supported the Hasidic Jewish, Hasidic community in the land of Israel at the time. And the ones who ran it was always the Rizhin Sadiger dynasty, and eventually it was Bayan, who controlled it and funded it, and uh, and they were the ones who influenced uh, the community in the Hasidic community in the land of Israel, it, which included in 1872 the building of the Teferis Yisrael Shul in the old city. Nissen Beck, who was one of the greatest activists in the Jewish community in Israel in the 19th century, his father at first Yisrael Beck, and then a printing press. And then Nissenbeck, Nissenbeck was a Rizhin Hasid. Of course, Tiferes Yisrael is named after the Rizhin Rebbe. And after the Churvashul, which was belonged to the Prushim, the community of the non-Hasidim, the, from the students of the Vilna Gain. So opposite that was built the Tiferes Yisrael Shul, the Hasidic Shul, which belonged to the Kail Valen, which was uh, Rizhin Sadiger. Sadiger at this point, and later beyond. So they, they, um, so Nissenbeck was, was, uh, was the one who built it. And, um, and, uh, and it was also during this time, again in the 1870s, all still in, in Israel, that Rav Yaakov of Sadiger, he bought the rights 
from the Sephardic, local Sephardic caretakers in Maron, ones who took care of the the uh, burial place of Reb Shimon Bar Yechai in Maron, or the, the where it's believed to be in Maron, uh, they, there is an annual lighting of a bonfire on Lag Boimer. Um, already then, in the 19th century, that the, was already the local Sephardic uh, custom, and the caretakers there of the gravesite took care of it. And a Ravram Yaakov of Sadiger bought the rights to it. He bought it, literally paid for it. And there would be for him and his progeny forever. That's, uh, and, and it belonged to them. And he ascribed great things, which, you know, is a very, a lot of mystical stuff and, and very, very important. And, uh, it's not just lighting a bonfire. This is not, uh, not a powwow and it's not a barbecue. This is the Lagba Emer Hadlaka and Maron by Rabshim Bar Yechai and, and it was a, a very holy and ancient custom, and this was now bought by Ravram Yaakov of Sadiger. He passes away in 1883. And now we come to our story of Bayan, and it all comes together. The Pachad Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak of Bayan, is the oldest son. And he, together with his younger brother, Rabbi Yisrael, they lead the court together. So here's a unique, very unique situation, number one. You have in Sadiger... The two brothers, you have once in a while, not that, not very often, but once in a while in the history of the Hasidic movement, you have, um, a situation where there's no dispute, uh, upon the passing, uh, of a Hasidic rabbi between his children. Happens, happens that there's no dispute, but that the two of them are actually leading the court together and, and, and leading the Titian together. Uh, they do that for three years, um, the two brothers. Very interesting situation. After three years, you know, they, they you know, not, not a, not a, not a long-term solution. So they drew lots. They had a gyro. And the, Rabbi Yisrael, the younger brother, he got the Sadiger court, the regal court. And along, and along with that, he got the rights to be buried next to his father and his grandfather in Sadiger. And Rabbi Yitzchak, the older brother, he got the Kailal Valen. He got the, the fundraising and the control of the Hasidic community in Israel, which came along with that came the Teferis Yisrael Shul, and of course, the rights to the Hadlaka in Maron and Lagba Ahimer. So Bayan, already in 1886, owns the rights to that Hadlaka, and that becomes a dominant theme in the history of, that, uh, of this dynasty. So where does he go? He settles down right nearby. Uh, Sadiger is a suburb of the larger city of Chernovitz in Bukovina, in, in what's today Romania. Sorry, today it's in Ukraine, but it was then Romania, then later Ukraine, and whatever. And it's actually, whatever. It wasn't really in Romania. It was, it was uh, that area. Anyway, you can look at a map. And, um, and, um, and, uh, he, uh, so he goes to simply to another Chernovitz suburb of Bayan. So you have Sadiger is a, a, a suburb of Chernovitz, and Bayan is a suburb of Chernovitz, and they're both settled there. And he establishes his regal court, builds up a big, huge cloys, and he gets a huge following, thousands of Hasidim. He was already nicknamed then the Pachar Yitzchak because his presence, he had this regal aristocratic presence that inspired a certain awe, and he was completely a, in, 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 he was effused this Yeres Shemayim, this fear of God, and anyone who came in, into his presence. Uh, he was very public, publicly active and communal activity. He was also involved in the early stages of what was going to become later Agudas Yisrael, which he passed away before it, uh, the vision was actualized. Now, his um, 
in in uh, involvement is he's heavily involved in the community in Israel because that's that's the, what he primarily got in during the uh, division of the empire, and um, and uh, he like would be going on to from his predecessors and his descendants. They even had a Ottoman passport through the generations. All the great rebbes of the Rishon dynasty had a, a symbolic connection to the land of Israel. They carried an Ottoman as, a passport, um, and this this identity and connection to the land of Israel becomes a central component of the Bayan dynasty. Bayan also at some point, and also continues till this very day, they preferred the model of small and intimate cloison, small little shuls where there's camaraderie, small groups of Hasidim davening together and getting together, as opposed to huge gatherings in one central area. And that was a policy, an official policy of the of the movement. In the beginning of World War One. The Pachar Yitzchak flees to Vienna, like all the Rebbes of the Rishon dynasty, as well as many others, a huge amount of Rebbes, tens, 40, 50 uh, Hasidic leaders uh, escaped to Vienna at the beginning of World War I, including all the Rebbes of the Rishon dynasty, Rusyatin and Shartkov and Sadiger and and uh, and, uh, and Shefanesht and, and, and uh, all of them, beyond and, and so on and so forth. Uh, they still feared, why, why was it? They feared the repercussions from the Russians. The Russians were fighting the Austro-Hungarians during World War One, and they were coming onto the territory of Galicia, and uh, they feared the repercussions from so many years before, when their grandfather, Rabbi Yisrael Avrishan, escaped from Russia, so they feared that uh, their family was still in danger. And the Russians ransacked Boyan when they came to the town. They destroyed the Kloys and the entire town. So um, the Pachar Yitzchak reestablishes his court in urban Vienna. And of course, in urban Vienna, it wasn't really uh, practical to reestablish a regal court. And either way, he passed away shortly afterwards in 1917 in Vienna. And he's buried there, as are other members of the Russian dynasty. And he left four sons, with a couple of daughters too, but the four sons became, each of them became a beyond Rebbe in a different location. They each chose a different ge- ge- geographical area of jurisdiction. The oldest son, Rebbe Menachem Nochem Friedman, he, um, he st- he's in Vienna initially, until uh, f- a few years after World War One. And then here's a, another uniqueness of Bayan. B- Vienna becomes this massive Hasidic center as a result of World War One, And almost... None of the many other Rebbes of the Rishon Sadiger dynasty leave Vienna afterwards. They all stay. That's it. Almost none of them return to their Eastern Europe heartland. And Bayan does. And Ermenachem Nachem goes back to Chernovitz. Chernovitz was the town where, where Bayan and Sadiger were right next to there. And it wasn't, rel- it wasn't practical to go. You know, there's a big urbanization after World War I anyway, so it wasn't practical to go back to the small town for the most part. And that happened across Eastern Europe. It was almost all the rabbis moved from small towns to the big cities in the interwar period, Warsaw, Ludge, and other places. Uh, so here he's in Chernovitz, but he's back there, back in, the, in, the, in, in, in where the Hasidus had been for all those years. Um, so he's back to, to where is Hasidim are. He's one of the only ones who did that. And uh, he leads the court from there. He visited Israel, and he did, when he visited Israel, 
he took the opportunity to do the Hadlaka in Maron, which is you know one of the first ones to actually do that. They bought the rights to it in the 1880s, but in practically, the Rebbe himself uh, hadn't really done it until uh, this visit. And he passes away in 1936, and his sons, they did not want to become the Rebbe's, but they would hold joint Titian anyway. He had two sons, Reb Aaron and Reb Mordechai Shraga, and uh, his real successor was his son-in-law, Reb Meishinyu, which we'll get to in a second. But his two sons, they sort of uh, were quasi-Rebbe's, and unfortunately they both perished in the Holocaust. Reb Aaron was, uh, passed away in a typhus epidemic in 1942. But Reb Menachem Nachum's son-in-law was his primary successor. And his name was a fascinating person in the history of Bayan, Reb Meishinyu Friedman. He came from, he was a son-in-law, but he, they all married cousins, they all married within the dynasty. He came from the Husiatin branch of the dynasty. He married the daughter of of, uh, of this Rebbe Nachum of Chernovitz. And he went to Vienna along with his father-in-law. And he was completely unique among the Biyan and Rizhen dynasty. He became uh, renowned and famous, not just as a Rebbe, but also as a tremendous Talmud Chacham and a Paisik. Um, and he you know, wrote, wrote and corresponded in Halacha, and in and and became known as a very dynamic leader. He got to know during the war in Vienna, during World War One, he got to know Rameir Arik, who was one of the greatest uh, rabbinical leaders, Paiskim, uh in Galicia. He was from Tarnov, so he he got close with him. And he stays. Ramayshenyu stays in Vienna till 1925. He becomes a big leader in the uh, new organization, the Agudas Yisrael. Uh, I, he, uh, I remember uh, recently there was. There was um, a few years ago, it's hard to remember when, because this happens all the time in Israel, there was some sort of dispute in Agudis Yisrael, and then this, and another religious party, and splits, and more splits, and yet more splits. And I remember the Biyana Rebbe uh, uh, saying, in Bayan, we always, uh, from the beginning, we were Agudistin, we supported Agudis Yisrael, and we're going to continue to do so now, despite all these splits going on. Very uh, strongly outspoken about it, so that it really is from the beginning. And Rameshinu uh, attended all three of the Knesia Gedailas of Agudas Yisrael in pre-war, and the first one was actually in Vienna, where he still was living at the time. And he was uh, only forty-two years old at that first Knesia Gedaila, and he's appointed to the Mayetzes Gedaila Hatira. He's already on the first tier. And keep in mind, this is at a time when his father-in-law and all of his uncles were still alive, and he. From the next generation is is already world renowned as a Talmud Chacham, as a Paisik, as a leader, as a, uh, a charismatic, as as a, as a Rebbe, uh, and uh, and he's appointed to Mezuzah Kedeli Hatayra. In 1925, he moves to Krakow, so he also moves to Eastern Europe, and he um, also very unlike the Rishon tradition of of keeping things uh, you know quiet and hidden and in, inside and. He was much more out there, much more outspoken, uh, and, uh, uncommon in the Rizhen tradition. He drops some Bayan customs because he feels, I'm in Krakow, you got you to gotta do what, when in Galicia, do as the Galicia honors. And um, he becomes uh, an official Bayana Rebbe even before his father-in-law passes away. He's very heavily involved in, the, in Beis Yaakov, which is a Krakow story right there in, in, in his city. He even is involved in early Kiruv among the secular Jews of Krakow, and he's extremely popular. He becomes one of the uh, primary leaders of of uh, Torah Orthodox Jewry in Poland, Polish Jewry 
in the interwar period. And he, in the 1933, on the passing of Rabbi Meir Shapiro, uh, the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin, so Ramoshin Yu Friedman, the Bayana Rebbe, becomes the Nasi, becomes the president, the chairman of the board of Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin. He becomes in charge of the Yeshiva, essentially. In the beginning of the war, he escapes to Tarnov, and he's there in the ghetto there. He maintains a secret minion, and unfortunately he and his entire family and his chassidim, they're all killed in Auschwitz, in 1943, a terrible tragedy, and no one survived from that area. But we have an incredible testimony, which I think I mentioned once in another episode, if not mistaken. Uh, Leib Leinkfuss, a, a uh, member of the Zunderkommando in, in Auschwitz, uh, who worked in the gas chambers. He himself didn't survive either, but he left a testimony and wrote a testimony. We found it after the war. Uh, he writes that he remembers when Ramayshin was in the gas chambers. And he, in a perfect German, he had lived in Vienna all those years, and he spoke a beautiful German. He, he as, as they're literally closing the gas chamber doors on, on uh, the Rebbe and everyone inside, he says to the SS officer there, he says, you think you're going to destroy the Jewish people. You'll never succeed. You are murderers, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna eventually suffer for the repercussions of your crimes. You'll never succeed in destroying the Jewish people. The Jewish people are going to live forever. And then, turning away from the SS officer, he turns to everyone around him, and he says, let's all die like Jews and recite the Shema Yisrael together. And that's how the Biyana Rebbe, as a leader, even till the last second, amazing, absolutely one of the best testimonies I I don't think there's ever been a visit that I've had to Auschwitz or even Yad Vashem that I haven't related this uh, this testimony of, of the Bayana Rebbe in his last moments. In fact, Yad Vashem has, this, has excerpts from this testimony emblazoned on the wall in, right above the Auschwitz exhibit. That's how powerful it is. Um, the next uh, brother of the four brothers, right, we're going back, back up a generation now, was Rabbi Stroll uh, Friedman of Leipzig. He he um, he moved to Leipzig from Vienna again. Another uniqueness. One of the first and one of the only prominent rebbes, rebbes from a prominent dynasty to establish a regular court, Hasidic court in a fully German city. It's in eastern part of Germany, which after World War One had loads of what was known as Ostjuden, uh, including Berlin, uh, eastern Eastern European Jews, immigrants who had left. Russia because of the Russian Revolution, or left Poland because of economic problems. But um, Rabbi Stroll had an impact on the natives also, on the native German Jews as well. Uh, in 1935, he visited uh, Israel, which is in Palestine. And of course, he did the Hadlaka in Maron when he was there, on Lagba Omer. And then he went back to Germany. And Think about it. Hitler was already in power since 1933. 1935, he's visiting Eretz Yisrael, but he goes back to to uh, to Germany to be with his chassidim. Uh, eventually, becomes untenable to stay in, in in Germany. In 1939, he finally leaves. He moves to Tel Aviv, and he reestablished a modest court in Tel Aviv. He becomes the leader of Bayan in in the land of Israel, and he uh, where there was already an important community in Yerushalayim, Tzfas, Tzveria. But he was in Tel Aviv, like most of the Rishoner. Rebbe's who escaped to, to Israel. He, he's in Rechov Yavne in Tel Aviv. And during the 13 years that he's in Israel, he, of course, lights the annual Maron bonfire on Lag Baimer. In 1951, he passes away. And he's buried in the old cemetery in Tzfas, not far from the Arizal, all the way up on top. 
and again in a uniqueness, because almost all of the Rizhin uh, Rebbes who are buried in Israel are buried in either Tel Aviv, in, in Givatayim technically, or in Tveria, the old Jewish cemetery in Tveria. And he's in Tzvas. Later on, his brother, his younger brother is in Harazesim. So they're not, they're not buried with the, with the rest of them. Now, Rabbi Yisrael left behind two daughters, but his sons-in-law did not take over as Bayana Rebbes, and neither of them had children, unfortunately. So that branch was also cut off. The third brother is Rebavram Yaakov, Rebavram Yaakov, a freedman of Lvov. Now the Bayan, they used the German name of the city, Lemberg. So it was called the Lemberger Rebbe. And again, another one who uh, moves back to Eastern Europe. Lvov is in the middle of Galicia, and he's very popular. And Eastern Galicia, which was traditionally a heartland of Sadiger and Bayan Hasidim, so he was the Rebbe there during the interwar, 1932. He makes his uh, pilgrimage as a visit to uh, Eretz Yisrael. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, it's superfluous to even mention that he does the Hadlaka in Maron that year. And he and his wife, unfortunately, uh, during the war, are shot in their courtyard in Lvov by the Nazis. They never had children. They were childless. So um, a relative of mine, actually, Rabbi Alex Bistritsky, published his Torah works, um, but uh, no, nothing uh, remains from that branch of the family either. That remained, what remained was the youngest brother, Mordechai Shlomo, who was the youngest by far. There was over two decades separation between him and his oldest brother. Uh, so he stays in Vienna. In the mid-1920s, he went for a year-long visit to the United States, and he was thinking of settling there because the Hasidim, who were there, the small, already a small group, they had established a little cloys on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, so he asks his uncle, Rabbi Stroll of Chartkev, the Chartkev Rebbe, and his brother, his older brother, in Chernovitz, uh, what, what should he do? Should he stay in Vienna, or should he move, or should he take on another position? They had been offered, he had been offered the, to become the Rebbe in, 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 uh, in another Polish town, in, in, uh, in Dorobitz, Dorobitz, pronouncing it wrong, in Ukraine. Um, but they encourage him to move to America. So he, becomes one of the first uh, major Rebbes of a major dynasty. Not the first, there are a few others before him. Uh, but one of the early ones to move to the United States in 1927. So, you know, especially since some of the ones who were there before him were fleeing communism. So he's, he's coming from Vienna, he's not fleeing communism. He makes it a choice. He moves there by choice uh, to go there. So it was a major, unique move. And he moves to the Lower East Side. And... He becomes a, a you know very fatherly figure, is known, you know, belovedly known as someone who uh, exuded a, this love for his fellow Jews and his simplicity. He he tones down the whole the whole regal thing, you know, the whole regal court. He does not live that way at all in America. A completely different, literally, a transformation of of lifestyle. He lives simply, modestly. He had a very small apartment on the Lower East Side. He never upgraded. He never bought new furniture. The furniture that he had for the, that he, when he arrived, 1927, he kept that for over 40 years. He never changed it. When he needed to go somewhere, he would go by subway in Manhattan by himself anytime that he needed to go places. Uh, but he was, on the other hand, he was modest in his, in the way he, his lifestyle, but he took a very active leadership role. He founded and was president of the Agudas Had Moirim, the Society of Rebbes, of Hasidic Rebbes. And he was one of the founders and leaders of the American Agudas Yisrael, together with Blazer Silver. And he was the one of the founders and leaders of the Vat Hatzalah rescue activities during 
the uh, Holocaust years. And one of the one of the main main uh, one who's active in the Vadat Sala. In fact, in the early stage of the Vadat Sala, so they received several emergency visas to be used for rabbis in Europe. And the U.S. government only gave them a very limited, I think it was 70 visas that they were given. Now here, the Vadat Sala got 70 visas above the quota for clergy. And they can't get more. The, the government, the, the State Department is not giving them more. Now they have this impossible, they have to do a selectia, essentially. One of those worst tasks in history. Who wants to do that? You have to choose which rabbis you want to save in Eastern Europe. And, and uh, Irving Bunim and Mike Tress and other leaders at the time uh, um, in Varatzal didn't have the stomach for that. And the Bayana Rebbe took it upon him to put together with his, his uh, relative, the Kapishnitz Rebbe, who had recently arrived from Vienna, they took it upon themselves to, to this responsibility, to be able to, to, to save the 70 rabbis. He participated in the Rabbis' March in Washington in 1943, and during this, his time in the United States, any money that he had, that he received, all the funds that he received from his followers, he would allocate for Kailul Volen, for the, for the Hasidic community in Israel. He never kept anything for himself. He, would, he, would fund the, he kept on funding them, as was the Bayan tradition. In 1949, he visited his brother, Rabbi Yisrael, the Leipziger. He was already living in Tel Aviv then, so he visited him in Israel. He knew he visited several more times. He visited Eretz Yisrael quite often. And uh, following his brother's passing in 1951, he became the sole Bayana Rebbe in the world. And the Hasidim worldwide accepted him as the sole Bayana Rebbe. Having lost, so the, the situation is, is that they lost, uh, Bayan lost almost all of their Hasidim during the Holocaust. All the other Rebbes were gone. Uh, and with the fall of the old city in 1948, they even lost the shul. They lost the Teferis Yisrael shul. The prominent, beautiful, magnificent, domed shul is gone also. So now you have to literally rebuild everything from scratch. So he decided to rebuild by starting a yeshiva. Um, today, it's, then, it, then it was, in the early years it wasn't. Today it's, it's very prominently the top of Rehov Malchi Yisrael in the center of Yishlaim, top of the Geula neighborhood. And it, it, it got there much later in his lifetime, and much later. Um, but in general, the the context of, of of in the Hasidic movement, they're investing in education, uh, starting from the beginning of the twentieth century, uh, and continuing, especially in the interwar period during the great crisis of the Hasidic movement, which is which is a whole story. What, what the great crisis was, which we'll have to get to one day. And many Hasidic groups begin to make a huge investment in education. In yeshivas, and that's why girls' schools are successful. Then in Beis Yaakov, you know the Piyatetz Nerebbe has his famous yeshiva Das Meisha in Warsaw, and the Ger Masifta in Warsaw, and there's all over Europe they're investing in education and in yeshivas, and that continues in the post-war as well. In Bells they never had yeshivas, and all of a sudden the first thing the Belzer Rebbe Rabbar uh, uh, Belzer did in in uh, when he came to Israel was to found the Belzer yeshiva on. Rehov Agrippas, behind, next to the Machna Yehuda Shuk. Uh, so in beyond, the Biyana Rebbe sees things the same way. So it's to see in that overall context that in the post-war, the way to rebuild is to start with the youth, to build a yeshiva, so the investment is in education. And the emphasis is, is that it's Misifta to Ferris Yisrael. It's not the shul to Ferris Yisrael. And later on, when he builds the shul in the same location, it's the base medrash is attached to the yeshiva. The primary focus is that it's a yeshiva. And then the base medrash of the Hasidus 
is attached to the yeshiva, which you know would be would have been unheard of in in the Hasidic movement a hundred years before that. That the base medrash of the Hasidic of the Hasidus is is uh, plays second fiddle to the yeshiva. And that's how he wanted it to be. And uh, then in 1953, it officially opens. Where not not in its current location in a neighborhood right off of Kikar Shabbos in the center of of Geula neighborhood, right off of Meishar, called Bate Horenstein, the Horenstein Houses. There was a fellow by the name of Horenstein, who was a Bayan or Chassid, who built that neighborhood, and it was really a Bayan neighborhood. And the, the members of the neighborhood were belonged to the Kailul Valen, and they got their Chalukah from the Kailul Valen, and this was a Bayan uh, little uh, Shechuna, little neighborhood there. And uh, that's where the the uh, the, uh, the yeshiva opens uh, uh, originally. Later, it moved to its current Geula spot in the 1960s. So another, excuse me, my uh, my microphone just uh, fell. Um, all, another uniqueness was that all the Rizhin branches at the time of the opening in 1953 were officially part of it. So the Husiatin and Sadiger and and Chartkev, they were all officially part of this. It wasn't a unique Bayan thing, but it was with the full approval of all the other rebbes there at the time. Um, and the, and when they built the, the, the Geula, the Geula Center, uh, shul, they also built a replica of the dome of the Teferis Yisrael shul in the old city. They built a replica of that on top of the, uh, on top of the shul there. So you could see that till today. So during the times that he visited, uh, Israel, Ramordechai Shlomo did the Hadlaka in Moron, of course. Now other years, he, he appointed an emissary. Who was his emissary to light the, the, the annual bonfire in Moron? on Lagba Eimer every year, was Reb Simcha Kaplan, who is the Litvak rabbi of Tzvah, someone who had learned in Ramaylis Yeshiva in Vilna, and in Mir, and he was a real Litvak, and he's the one lighting the central Hadlaka in Tzvah, uh, I'm sorry, he was the rabbi in Tzvah, he lit it in Maron by Reb Shimba Yechai and Lagba Eimer as an emissary on behalf of the Bayana Rebbe. In the later years, the Bayana Rebbe uh, moved to the Upper West Side to be near his children, and he opened a, another Bayana Shtibel uh, there on the West Side, which also uh, exists still today, and he passes away in 1971, and there's no clear successor. His two sons were not that excited about the prospect of becoming rabbis. They had been more uh, Americanized. His son-in-law was from a prominent Stefanest family, which is another branch of the Rizhin uh, Hasidus, and he was a professor at uh, at YU, a, a Professor Menachem Breyer, and he was also a chassid at heart. And his older son, Yigal, was an aerospace engineer and lived in, lived in, lives in, in, in Los Angeles. But his younger son, um, who had grown up in America, went to Breuer's on the, in Washington Heights, and later went to Taravadas, was now at the, at the, at the age of 20 or 21, was now sent to Israel to be trained at headquarters to become a rabbi. And in 1944, he assumes that mantle of leadership. And uh, he is the current Rebbe till today. So for 14 years, the Hasidic move, this, this group did not have a Rebbe altogether. Uh, and it continued. It survived. In fact, in 1973, two years after the passing of Ramurcha Shlomo, they open up a cheder. So there's initiative and there's growth, even by the Hasidim, by the grassroots, by the Hasidim themselves, uh, to keep it growing uh, during that time, there are senior Hasidim like the Brim family, Reb Chaim Brim and Reb Shia Brim, who uh, they officially, uh, they, they were big people in the community in, in Yerushalayim, and they cemented the new young and uh, an American Rebbe as the leader when they accepted him as the leader in the 1980s. Um, and they, 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 like I said, they, they, it's interesting about the people like the Brims was that they were originally um, 
they uh, they um, they became Bayan from Tzans. Now Tzans had been the opponents of the Sadiger of the Rishon dynasty. The Devarim went to war against Tzans. So how does it come to be that a Tzans Galicia family, when they come to Yushalayim, they become Bayan Hasidim? So it's a very simple reason. There weren't that many Rebbes living in Yerushalayim during the 19th century. Lelov, of course, not many others. So it was when you were connected to a certain Hasidic group in Yerushalayim in the 19th century, it was more about the community, not about a specific Rebbe. Now, Bayan controlled two crucial elements of the Hasidic community. They controlled the Teferis Yisrael Shul, and they controlled the Chalukah distribution of Kail Volin. So you, quote-unquote, became a Bayan uh, you know, more out of necessity and 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 just the reality of the uh, community in Yerushalayim at that time. I want to end off with a cute story. Uh, Bayan Hasidim, who moved to Eretz Yisrael in the uh, ter- at the turn of the century, brought uh, brought their music with them, brought songs with them from Sadiger. One of those songs was overheard by the famous musicologist Avram Tzvi Idelson, who recorded the songs of the Bayan Hasidim that he heard. And this evolved later on through a student of Idelson's into the song that we know today of Hava Nagila, that in the third Aliyah, the, the secular Zionists and the Kibbutzim and Ein Harod and Deganya, they said, they danced the Hora singing Hava Nagila. I don't know if they knew it or not, but it was a, from a, a the words weren't, but the, the original tune was a Hasidic tune from Bayan Hasidim. So we could say that that Jude can take a, a sad song and make it better, but Jews can make a happy song and make it even better and even happier. Uh, so that's a little bit about beyond uh, the Beyond Dynasty. This is Yehuda Geber of Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at yehuda.yehudageber.com for questions, comments, sources, sponsorships, uh, lectures, virtual tours. You could subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter, Jay Soundbites, and I hope you enjoy.